The title of my sermon is Let the Word Work. Let the Word Work. This comes right out of verse 13. I'm going to read it to you again. Verse 13 says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, and here it is, which is at work in you believers. Here's a question. You may want to write this down. What is a mark of a believer? Here's the simple answer. The Word of God at work. What is a mark of a believer? The Word of God at work. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 describes God's Word as being living and active. It's not just living, but it's living and active. So the Word of God works. The Word of God acts. God acts on the basis of His Word. Side illustration from my week. Moving companies will not act on the basis of their word. But God always acts on the basis of his word, always. It's possible for human beings to be in a state of comatose, to be unconscious, to be asleep, where we are living but not active. God's word is not like that. It is always living. It is always active. And such is the confidence that Paul and Silas and Timothy place not only in the Word of God, but in the God of the Word. The two are never separated. Word and Spirit, Spirit and Word, always together. And these men were writing to the Thessalonian believers to encourage them in their faith, which chapter 1 verse 8 has already said that their faith has gone forth everywhere. I want that to be true of us, of this congregation, that the faith here goes forth everywhere. And they want to remind the Thessalonians of their hope in God on the basis of his word. Because they accepted the gospel, not as man's word, but as the truth, as the word of God, what it really is. And so... Verses 13 through 16 of this text invite us this morning to consider the outcomes both of accepting the Word of God and also rejecting the Word of God. To either encourage us to persevere in our faith with hope or to call us to repentance and faith in Jesus. And so the Word of God is to be accepted. Verse 13 begins with unceasing thanksgiving being offered to God. Verse 13 says, we also thank God constantly for this. That word constantly it can be translated unceasingly. It's a word that belongs to the Apostle Paul's prayer vocabulary. In uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17, that word appears again in the command, pray unceasingly, constantly. Prayer and thanksgiving never cease. And so Paul and Silas and Timothy are thanking God unceasingly and prayerfully because God has given the Thessalonians faith to accept His Word 
and his gospel about Jesus. And only God can give that kind of faith to a person and give eyes that can see and ears that can hear. That's why I prayed that way before I began the message. Paul recognizes that as the word of God was preached among the Thessalonians, God, through his Holy Spirit, was using that word to call forth faith in those that heard it. And this was God's work. And this is why Paul thanks God unceasingly. The word of proclamation must always be accompanied by the work of prayer. And that's what Paul is modeling here. Prayer and preaching. So, here's an application. Please pray for me regularly as I prepare to preach. Pray for those who teach the word of God in this church. And I will pray for you as you take it outside the walls of this church. When we preach and when we teach God's word, we're dealing with something that must be spiritually discerned. We need the spirit of God to help us in that endeavor. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, the natural person uh, does not accept, that's our word, accept. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. And this is why we must never just simply preach or teach the Word of God. We must prayerfully preach and teach the word of God because we're dependent upon God to work through his word. Verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, the word of God is received first by hearing. The Thessalonians heard and received the word of God because Silas and Paul and Timothy proclaimed it. You say, Christopher, that seems very obvious. You have to proclaim in order for people to hear. But listen to what Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You do not have to be called or ordained as a preacher to have beautiful feet in this way. The word of God is at work in you who believe. And evidence of that work will be that the word is in you is going to then proceed forth out of you. That is how you know the word of God is at work in you, that you are a believer. You can proclaim the word of God as a mother raising children in a home, as you're having lunch with friends, as you're praying for people. Sometimes we don't know what to pray over people. You could pray God's word over them. You could proclaim the word in many ways as you go, and that's how God has always intended his word to be proclaimed. This is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, part of the instructions, the law of Moses. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise, all the time. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All the time and everywhere the word of God can be proclaimed. Romans 10 verse 15 goes on to say, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has been heard from us? So, faith comes by what? Hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. One of the goals that I have as your pastor is that every one of us in this church would be equipped and able to proclaim Jesus to anyone, anywhere. And I'm going to help you do that over time. I'm going to share with you different evangelism techniques. You're going to be trained to do it as you do rise up in the morning, as you go to bed at night, as you're out and about in the way. That's a goal I have for you because people are hungry and have a desire to hear from God. That's one of the takeaways that I witnessed over the last two years of my ministry. People want to hear from God. And they're not able to hear from God in any other place. Not on the TV, not in the news, nowhere else. But from those who proclaim it, but from the word. And my promise to you is that if you can get here on a Sunday morning, I will have prayed, I will have prepared, and I will preach to you, not my word, God's word. And that is a promise I want you to hold to me. All right. My hope also is that you'll join me in that promise to not only hear but receive that word that you hear and to take it outside the sanctuary to the places that you walk. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is. That's one of the strongest uh, attestations to what the word of God is in the scriptures. What it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So first, the word of God was proclaimed to the Thessalonians. Second, they received what they heard. And then thirdly, they had to make a faith decision. Will they accept what they have received as being from God and therefore true? Or will they reject what they have received as being from men, believing it to be untrue, not from God? And verse 13 tells us they accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. So at this juncture, I want you to uh, do some introspection, some remembering, some thinking for yourself. Think about that moment when the gospel, the good news of Jesus, made sense to you. When you believed, when you accepted it as true. When you received by faith the word about Jesus as being from God and not just a made-up story from men. 
have you had such a moment in your life like that? Can you remember the conviction that you felt when you realized that you were, as the scripture says, not a friend with God, but an enemy of God? When you understood what it meant to be a sinner and to fall short of God's glory, it's unattainable. To learn that by God's standard, by God's definition, you were a liar and a thief an adulterer, an idolater, a blasphemer, and on and on and on before him, deserving only one thing from God, judgment and justice. Can you remember about hearing how Jesus died in your place, becoming sin for you, enduring the wrath of God in your place on the cross? Can you remember how it was taught to you or explained to you that Jesus was buried, something very final, but then he was raised again to life so that sin would have no more claim or permanent hold on you, so that death had no more hold on you, nothing to fear anymore, so that you could be reconciled to God and forgiven and given a new life in him to be declared righteous before God. Think about that moment. Can you remember God's presence with you in that moment? When you accepted his word as truth. That was the spirit of God. And all of this is God's working through his word. This is what happened to the Thessalonian now believers. The point is you cannot just hear and receive the word. You have to decide what you do with what you hear. So another word of caution, if you walk through those doors and you enter into a space like this and you hear the word of God proclaimed, there's a great weight of responsibility on you now because now you're responsible for what you have heard. And if I have rightly proclaimed to you the word of God and the gospel of God, then you can never claim I never had an opportunity to make a decision with what I've heard. The blood is off of me. So you need to make a decision. Do I accept what I hear as truth or do I reject it as not truth? But you can't not decide. Think about a vending machine for a moment. All of us get frustrated when we try to put a dollar bill into a vending machine. But what happens? You stick the dollar bill in and it goes and it receives the dollar bill. But then one of two things happen, right? It either accepts it and you get to make your selection and get whatever you want out of the machine or what most of the time happens. Reject it, right? It rejects that dollar. Please try again. The same is true about the word of God and how it's received. You're receiving it, but you must either accept it or reject it. And that all depends upon the soil with which this seed lands. It depends on the preparation in the state of your heart. It's in the heart, as we've heard read in our text, where the Spirit of God does His work through the Word. Warren Wearsby said that receiving is a hearing of the ears, but accepting is a hearing of the heart. 
We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And then verse 14 gives evidence for this. Verse 14 says, For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. The word of God is at work because the believers became imitators of those who are identified by it and who live by it, the churches of God in Christ Jesus. The word imitators is the word memites, memites. I think of our English word mimic, memites. It simply means one who does what others do. And that's what the Thessalonians became after they accepted the word. They did what those who lived by the word do. That's simple. That's simple discipleship, by the way. Discipleship is not that complicated. It's us not only receiving the word, but living the word. And others can walk alongside us and, and witness that. It's simple. The Thessalonians did not just accept the word of God intellectually, but they allowed what they heard to travel that incredibly long distance of 18 inches from the head to the heart. And once it was in their heart, it transferred into actions. It changed Better said, it transformed their lives. Now watch with me how this works. I'm going to use the example of trying to become fluent in another language. If you want to become fluent, I mean truly fluent in another language, you have to discipline yourself to go beyond just learning the words and learning how sentences are formed and learning the different inflections. To learn a language fluently... You have to do more than learning to speak or write that language. You have to go all the way to learning how to think in that language. You can attend something called an immersion camp. So, for example, if you want to learn French, you can go to a French immersion camp where for a length of time, one week, two weeks, a month, you will be surrounded by everything that is French. There's no other language permitted. When you read, you read in French. When you watch TV, you watch TV in French. When you eat dinner, you have conversations in French. And very quickly, listen to this, it becomes inconvenient for you to think in your native language. It becomes inconvenient to think in any other language but French. And before long, you might even dream in French. Because no longer are you immersing yourself in the French language. But the French language is immersing itself in you. As someone encounters the word and accepts it and begins to read it and listens to it and speaks it, the word gets in you. Is it possible for us to be so saturated with the word of God, to let it so work in us that it becomes inconvenient for us to think in any other way? 
these Thessalonians became imitators by letting the word of God work in them. They became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea who were transformed already in the same way by the spirit and the word of Christ. And by imitating these churches, the Thessalonians' lives were so transformed that they no longer looked like the world and became partakers in the same sufferings of those churches. Verse 14 tells us they suffered. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. The word of God had performed such a work in them that their faith was clearly defined. And there was no mistaking that these believers now belong to Jesus Christ. This past week, I was interviewed for the paper, an article that's coming out on Friday. And we did the interview here in this sanctuary. And a photographer came along to take some pictures. And so we took those pictures here in the sanctuary. And one of the first things he asked uh, as he looked around was he said, can you turn off the lights? And I thought, well, that's a little odd. How are you going to see me if you turn off the lights? So I turned off the lights, and he had me sit over in this vicinity. And he was taking advantage of the natural light that was coming in through the windows, and he said, trust me, this is going to make a great picture. So he began to snap a few pictures and look, and I can see him kind of adjusting, a little perplexed. And I'm sitting there awkwardly smiling the whole time, not moving. (laughs) Well, then he goes over to his equipment, and he pulls out a light, a lamp. And he goes behind me, and he sets up the lamp behind me. And he comes back around. He starts taking more pictures. And then afterward he came and he showed me the difference. He said, look at the difference. The first set of pictures that he took when there was no light behind me, I saw my image there in the picture, but it blended into the darkness. There was no clear distinction. Just kind of faded away. I didn't really pop out or stick out in any way. But the second set of pictures where he had used the lamp, the light behind me, It was amazing because all of a sudden now behind me was a light outlining me and setting me apart from the darkness, uh, distinctly contrasted with the darkness. That is what the Word of God does for us in our lives. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There's a clear distinction contrasting a believer from the world. A clear distinction between the light and the darkness. And so the Thessalonians, they no longer looked like unbelievers, but were clearly marked as believers to the point that they were persecuted with other believers because of it by their own countrymen. But it was in this suffering that they became known, I mean known, as belonging to Jesus who himself suffered. And in this suffering, they have hope. That's why Paul and Silas and Timothy are writing 1 Thessalonians. Every chapter has something hopeful in it. And this is the hope that the Thessalonians had. They they heard, they received, they accepted, they believed, they became imitators of, and they were even willing to suffer on account of it. And this is how much they believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ Uh, that was preached to them, truly was the word of God. It was transforming their lives. Now, not everyone in Thessalonica was changed by the word that was preached. 
And not everyone accepted the word that was preached as the word of God. The preaching of the word won many people over, but it also created, as Acts will tell us, an uproar in this city. And so verse 15, very briefly, I want to flip the coin to see the other side. That was the word accepted as representative of the Thessalonian believers. But now the word of God rejected. And this is represented by a group of Jews who uh, form an opposition. They're unbelieving. Verse 15, look at it with me. It said, these Jews are the ones who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets. They killed the word and they killed the prophets who spoke the word. And so instead of accepting and believing and imitating and suffering, here you have killing and persecuting and displeasing and opposing. They killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. One look at the cross and you see rejection in the strongest terms. But remember what Jesus said. John chapter 15, verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it has hated you. They killed the Lord Jesus. But he was raised from the dead and he still speaks. They killed the prophets. But they still speak. They persecuted Paul and Silas and Timothy. But they still speak. Because the word of God cannot be silenced. It will work even through rejection. Verse 15 says they killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind. Opposition can take many forms and here especially it takes the form of hindrance. That word comes up many times to hinder and that's why the title of the sermon is let let the word work. Don't hinder. But here the opposition is hindrance. And even Satan in verse 18 is hindering Paul's work and Paul's plans. The Jews are opposing God's work through Paul and his companions. It says in verse 16, by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. God desires for all to be saved. Not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles. And yet these oppose all mankind. They oppose the nations. They oppose the Gentiles. And so, let the word work. Rejecting the word of God hinders the work of God, but it can't keep the word from working in believers. And God's word will do a work in unbelievers too. And those who are hindering the advancement of the gospel. But it's a work that leads to, as verse 16 says, wrath. Verse 16 ends by saying, but wrath has come upon them at last. Finally, judgment is coming. For those who accept the word of God, there is a promised end of hope. For those who accept the word of God, that hope is Jesus who delivers from sin and offers forgiveness and new life. But for those who reject the word of God, the Bible is very clear, there is no hope. There's only wrath and it's coming. 
and it will come, and it has come. Question for you as I close. Is the word of God at work in you? Is the word of God at work, you might ask, in me? I want you to think through that. I want you to ask the Spirit of God to help answer that question for you. Have you had a moment of hearing and receiving and accepting and believing the good news that Jesus bore the wrath of God for you if you would just believe him through his death, his burial, and his resurrection and that he can bring you in right relationship with God? As you get into the word, is the word getting into you? Is it saturating your speech and your thoughts and your life? Are you being changed or is your faith comatose? That's very possible because James will bring that up. He'll call it a dead faith. I want to close with this parable of Jesus. It's the parable of the sower. A sower, Jesus said, went out to sow seed. He said that seed that he's sowing is the word of God. While he was sowing, some seed fell on the side of a path, and the birds came and devoured it. This is the evil one, snatching away what was heard but not understood, what was not accepted. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up at once because it did not have any depths of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched because it did not have enough root it withered. This is one, Jesus said, who hears the word and receives it with joy, but is not changed by it. When suffering comes, he or she immediately falls away. Not enduring like the Thessalonians who suffered. Other seed, Jesus said in this parable, fell among thorn plants, and the thorn plants came up and choked it. This, Jesus says, is the one who hears. But the cares of the world choke the word and it becomes unproductive. There is no sounding forth of faith going out everywhere as it did with the Thessalonians. But then Jesus references some seed. Some. It's not a lot. Some seed fell on good soil and produced fruit, some 100-fold. Some 60-fold and some 30-fold. This, Jesus says, is the one who hears, understands, and produces fruit. One who hears, receives, accepts, believes, and is changed. Three times as much soil rejected that seed. And the one that accepted it was one among three, or among four. But nevertheless, the point of the parable is the word was scattered. It was scattered. The word has been scattered, even this morning, in your hearing. The word of the Lord will accomplish something in you today. The spirit of the Lord is here with us, convicting of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I do pray, I pray that you are encouraged this morning in your faith and in your confidence in God's word and what God does through his spirit and his word. 
And I pray that your heart is as the good soil where the seed will grow and produce much fruit. But if you have rejected the word of the Lord until now, and the gospel that has been preached, the good news of Jesus, then the Lord stands ready to forgive and to save you. And God will give you the faith to accept it for what it is, the word of God. In the words of Jesus, may the one who has ears to hear, let them hear.